email as a protocol has had amazing staying power. It really is, uh, you know, high on the Lindy effect. But where where it is challenged uh, is sort of twofold. One is in uh, say spam and just in general unsolicited messaging, um, because there is no real consequence, certainly not monetary, uh, to anybody that is uh, that is spamming. And the second part is kind of comes out of that first part is that uh, we've now gotten to a world where it used to be that you could set up your own mail server and start emailing other people and kind of live in your own world. But now we have to use services like Gmail or use Microsoft as a backend or whatnot. And it's because uh, they have all sort of uh, I won't say colluded, but they have all built all these tools and processes and rules uh, that mean that if you are not in this, you know, cabal of uh, blessed email senders, then you might be relegated to the spam filter. Hi, everyone. This is Growing Web 3 a podcast that uncovers the growth stories behind the most successful crypto, DeFi, DAO, NFT, metaverse, and play-to-earn ecosystems. I'm your host, James RT, and each week I'll be sitting down with founders and experts on Web3 to pick their brains and learn about their growth stories. We'll discuss strategies and tactics to understand how they've grown Web3's billion-dollar protocols and communities. So whether you're in the midst of your own growth story or just getting started, this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we discuss Growing Web 3. Growing Web 3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web 3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web 3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more. Hello everyone, welcome to Growing Web3. Today I'm extremely excited to be here with Matt Galligan, who's a co-founder of XMTP Labs, a wallet-to-wallet communications protocol. Great to have you here, Matt. Appreciate it, I'm glad to be here. Awesome, so I thought before we dig into learning more about XMTP and what you're building, it'd be great to know a little bit about your journey, how you got into Web3, into crypto. Awesome. Yeah, so I've been uh, in the technology and software world for a good long while now, uh, going all the way back to 2006 is when I started my first company. Uh, but really, you know, go one year back prior to that, to 2005, and it was uh, actually podcasting uh, that sort of got me uh, deeper into the internet. And so I was, you know, enthusiastic about audio at the time. I had a band, uh, had some audio equipment, and uh, just decided to start podcasting, actually, right at the beginning of all of it, and uh, met some great people along the way, some of which uh, were technology entrepreneurs and sort of showed that there was a path uh, to get out of my, you know, cornfield town in the middle of nowhere in Illinois. Uh and kind of had come across this uh, amazing and vibrant thing called the internet uh, and largely, you know, relied on things like AOL Instant Messenger and, 
And uh, after getting my Gmail beta invite, I uh, was kind of firing some things off with folks. So I've been around for a little while. Um, but I was but uh, what's that? I was wondering. I was wondering how you got your MG handle on Twitter. I was very oh, jealous well, of that. Like, yeah, that one. From the beginning. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, my user ID on Twitter is six hundred and seven. So. Wow. I think that, and they, they skipped oh, a whole bunch of numbers, right? Of just like test accounts getting set up and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, someone years ago, Sean Bonner, actually, who is also into web three and NFTs and stuff, uh, did some sort of analysis way back when and figured out who the first 140 accounts on Twitter were. And, uh, somehow I was in there. Um, but it was my friend, uh, Derek, uh, Derek Oyen, who was one of those podcasters, uh, who who got us in. And part of the background there, and now we're going way back, uh, is that Twitter got started uh, out of a company called Odeo. Odeo was a, uh, a podcasting company. They had a, a marketplace, a website to go to that you could view podcasts and stuff. And so uh, some of the earliest podcasters uh, were sort of aware of Twitter uh, because of that connection. Uh, and so that, we're going way back now. Uh, but yeah, I've been on Twitter, you can actually say since the beginning. Um, so it's been interesting to see how it's progressed over the last 16 years. But uh, also hard to believe I've been in this space for that long. Um, you know, along the way, uh, back in like 2007, started my first company with a couple of uh, folks, we got into the very first class of tech stars, which was an accelerator out of Boulder, Colorado, they've, you know, grown on to such bigger things today. Uh, but the very first company was uh, actually it was interesting, it was like a social media aggregator. So at the time, uh, it looked like all these social protocols were going to uh, just our protocols companies were just going to pop up and diverge and so many of them would exist and you would need some sort of solution to pull them all back down together into one simple easy to use interface uh, which is what we built it was called social thing and uh, this was right as twitter was getting started right as facebook connect came out uh, youtube had just been acquired uh, Flickr was still a big deal i mean it was early early days in web 2 and we had this awesome tool, it got bought by AOL. We worked at AOL for a little while, trying to integrate some of these things into their world. Uh, and then I was off to the, to the next company. Uh, and so then throughout that period of time, all the way up till now, and I'll skip a bunch, but had started, you know, three other companies in that period of time, uh, developer tools, uh, kind of all over the, uh, the map, but always trying to solve for something that I had a personal uh, challenge with or that I was uh, needing a solution for. Uh, and the last company was in crypto. I had gotten started in the space back in 2017. Uh, was kind of enamored by some of the ideas that I was seeing come out of uh, Bitcoin, which I'd heard about a number of years prior, but didn't really do the deep dive. Uh, and then, of course, Ethereum and then CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties and uh, it just sort of, I, I, as they say, I went down the rabbit hole and I just never came back out the other side. So uh, got XMTP Labs started last uh, April and have been working on the challenges in this space ever since. Awesome. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about XMPT Labs? So I know it's a wallet-to-wallet -wallet communications protocol. 
but what did, what exactly does that mean um, yeah yeah so the the whole impetus the reason it got started was because at the time i was getting more and more into nfts and exploring these marketplaces and listening to clubhouse session after clubhouse session on nfts and was just very excited about the space um and had heard uh you know a bunch of different folks talking about how this could represent sort of a new direct to say collector or direct to fan way of uh, uh communicating or or building uh social around ownership uh and if you think about it when you buy an nft from a creator it's an implicit connection you might even say an explicit connection between uh, the creator and the collector uh, but at the time there was no way to kind of close that loop uh, in a way that used anything that was web3 native uh, you know that was widespread or widely available and things like that yes you could pop back over to Twitter or Telegram or Discord, but they were always breaking out into some other identity and uh, and such. And so I saw this, this sort of opportunity to produce a, a protocol which would allow, you know, blockchain addresses to communicate with one another uh, based on maybe what they own or, uh, or whatnot. And... At the time, I had also uh, been sort of talking to a handful of other folks in the space, and one of which was Robert Leshner from Compound, uh, who talked about this pain of wanting to be able to get in touch with all of the uh, people who are uh, using Compound, uh, and how, you know, because it's a protocol, and there's no email addresses, he just couldn't, and so the sort of pain was all around. I was like, all right, this is, this is it. This is the thing to go solve. And so, you know, fast forward to now, what we've been building is a, uh, a protocol for secure web three communication and, you know, pulling all that back apart. It's, you know, one, a protocol. So it's meant to be permissionless. Any developer can jump on, build apps, start using it. Any user can jump on, start uh, using it without having to say, uh, go punch in an email address and get a password and all these things. They just bring their wallet. Uh, and through that, we derive, say, a new uh, identity, a new keys. We do that for security purposes so that we're not directly tying the sort of thing that holds the assets to the thing that holds the messages uh, in a way that would compromise the the assets. Um, and when I say secure, it's that everything that happens inside of XMTP uh, is done so with end-to-end -end encryption. And so if you and I start a conversation, uh, then all the messages that are exchanged uh, therein are all encrypted such that only us uh, can read those messages and uh, and obviously web3 component being the, the blockchain addresses that communicate and so got things started we've been uh, at this now say for about 18 months in terms of conceptually but really since the beginning of the year uh, we, we deployed it it's been up and running kind of kept quiet uh, for the most part just building and building with developers to uh, see this thing get used and now we've seen some awesome adoption so far and it's 
it's uh it's coming along so it uh it you can go to xmtp.org the docs are available anybody can get started with it today uh but yeah it's been an awesome journey so far and a whole lot of learnings and lots to do from here awesome yeah it's definitely such a huge problem um in this space is you know we have everything's fragmented the like communication channels are fragmented like we we run at Hive like a load of discords, a load of telegrams, a load of social accounts like Twitter, um, even some Instagram accounts. And yeah, it's very hard to get through to your core audience. And this is yeah a problem that I think a lot of people have tried to solve, but yet yeah, no one's really cracked it yet. Um, but it seems like you guys are yeah doing an awesome job of uh, kind of integrating through the protocols themselves, I guess. We're, we're trying, right? We we do believe <laughs> yeah, there is a there is a path that there is a solution here, and so have been working hard to make that possible. the The fragmentation that you talk about, and even in just the context of Web three, that's all you know very true. And if you kind of take that scope and go wider to say messaging in general, uh, mm-hmm. there's a ton of fragmentation that exists in the world. Uh, you know if you want to send a message to somebody, uh, you kind of need to know, is it going to be WhatsApp or Telegram or Twitter DMs or iMessage or, or email or whatnot? And this siloing that has existed as a result, like each one of these different apps having their own identity, their own messages, and uh, it's all very, uh, say, service-specific, was also something that we wanted to solve for so that, you know, say you want to communicate with another blockchain address, Mm -hmm. you might be using XMTP as an underlying protocol, but the interface, the front end that you're using, uh, say maybe a lens app, or it may be some specific uh, DM app that was built, or it could look like an email client or whatnot, but it's always you know, sort of taking place over the core protocol. It's just that the front ends can change. So trying to get rid of these silos, uh, if you will. Awesome. Yeah, because I mean, the the, the e- like email that we use now, it's all built on a protocol, right? And absolutely, Google, Gmail, Hotmail is just an interface, interface for that protocol. Um, the, it's true. There is an interesting thing that exists in email that is something that we have deeply considered as well, which is email as a protocol has had amazing staying power. It really is, uh, you know, high on the Lindy effect, but where, where it is challenged, uh, is sort of twofold. One is in, uh, say spam and just in general unsolicited messaging, um, because there is no real consequence certainly not monetary uh, to anybody that is uh, that is spamming and the second part is kind of comes out of that first part is that uh, we've now gotten to a world where it used to be that you could set up your own mail server and start emailing other people and kind of live in your own world but now we have to use services like Gmail or use Microsoft as a backend or whatnot. And it's because 
they have all sort of, uh, I won't say colluded, but they have all built all these tools and processes and rules uh, that mean that if you are not in this, you know, cabal of uh, blessed email senders, then you might be relegated to the spam filters. And so even though it is an open protocol, it's not necessarily, uh, say, an open network. And mm-hmm. we're trying to to solve for both, which is definitely a big challenge in trying to do both. But we think it's critically important uh, to, say, facilitate the, uh, the ends that we're looking towards. Yeah, I think that, that spam prevention um, point you mentioned is interesting because I, I've read so many books about like early days of the internet and like the big problems that seem to exist or the big problems to solve were like um, stopping like credit card fraud because everyone was just doing credit card fraud all the time, like eBay, sure. eBay all those guys that they spent all their time solving those issues. And then, yeah, solving spam because everyone was just spamming because like you said, there was no punishment, no penalty. Yeah, um, I was. I, I there was this product like a few years back, Earn.com. Do you remember this one? Mm-hmm. And I absolutely that they had like okay, so it wasn't wallet to wallet, but it was just a communication protocol for crypto. Well, not protocol. It was just a website, but you would get paid to open messages and reply. Totally. And I thought kind of fun. It was like you can get paid ten bucks, twenty bucks. Um, it's to open reply to a message, and I quite like that idea. It's a super interesting idea, and eventually they got acquired by Coinbase, and there's some kind of interesting yeah. things they've done with it ever since. But the sort of promise of maybe being paid for your attention uh, is uh, a really fascinating one. Balaji, who started Make.com, uh, is actually also an investor in XMTP Labs, and so we've uh, been able to learn a little bit about motivations and the history there and uh, try to figure out ways that uh, that we could you know take those learnings and build them in here in in this case it's interesting in that uh, you have all of this amazing say on-chain data that can be used to help around spam things like that but I really love this idea of being able to say have a bounty uh, that I could be paid out for, you know, reading a particular message. And that's definitely something that we're keen to see happen in XMTP. Whether, you know, it is, say, built into the protocol itself or layered on top of the protocol uh, is a great question. We've already seen some projects uh, that have been building that, that say, exchange mechanism, the the part where, you know, you're paying for that attention, uh, as a sender, uh, and we've already seen it built on top of XMTP, uh, but I would love to find ways to get that to be more, uh, you know, say integrated because it it kind of does provide a path out of the current, uh, say, advertising landscape where it's just you're getting blasted with ads all the time and they're not particularly uh, all that smart. But if instead what we have is you know, a means to be reached because you can know a lot about me based on my on-chain activity. Uh, there's a value to be ascribed to that. And then the reward that I get for consuming this message uh, is is real, right? 
Um, and that's that's a cool idea. It totally inverts the the advertising model and puts the power into the hands of the the user, the consent they're giving, and yeah. uh, you know they can put a price on their attention. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is the really interesting thing about growing protocols in general, is that you know adoption is going to come through the application layer mm. and maybe as a protocol you build some apps yourself but often these apps will come from the community users integrations i'd love to hear a little bit more about your approach to how yeah you're thinking about growing the protocol how growing protocols yeah. is different from just you know launching an application and trying to get as many users as possible for sure you know the the protocol building uh, is really interesting because you you really do have to take into consideration what people might try to do with it. And you can predict a fair bit, right? Just, mm -hmm. you know, coming up with your own ideas. But there's plenty that you can't predict. There's a lot of, I guess, the they call it the unknown unknown. You really don't know what people are going to do uh, once you let the genie out of the bottle. You know, we have built some examples of how to use it internally. Uh, you know, they're all available on the GitHub and you can, you know, say fork it and run like an example chat app. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and moving forward, we will build uh, as XMTP Labs a handful of clients, uh, front ends to interface with XMTP, the network and protocol. But the purpose of those will be one to really empathize with developers that are building on top of the protocol to understand what they go through, what they're feeling, uh, and really understand how to best uh, support them. Uh, the second is to sort of empathize with the user and understand, you know, what is the user experience when they're using this protocol? And the, the last part is to provide, say, what I call the the client of last resort, where it's like if if everything else somehow uh, has an issue or goes down or whatnot, that there is at least uh, some way to interface with uh, the protocol. And I kind of think of you can look at, like, say, Uniswap's, uh, you know, mm -hmm. interface as that type of client where you can build any sort of front end you want to it, uh, you know, for extra features or something more unique, but you can always go back to that one. We see it as the same thing. And when it comes to the growth of the protocol, you know, really it's about finding unique cases or unique uh, use cases where, there is a community that will be benefited by the existence of this protocol. And, uh, you know, to, to work with any of these developers to build in communication features or messaging features. Uh, in the case of, say, Lens, uh, you know, they came to us and um, really had already been looking at all the different ways they could build DMs and certainly you know, mm -hmm. considered things for themselves, you know, maybe we build it, but then seeing XMTP and that it's largely a, a complete solution for them already uh, meant that, you know, they have an understanding of how it works. It could already provide end-to-end -end encrypted messaging for their, uh, for their users, uh, kind of a slam dunk in that regard. And so in that case, you know, we worked directly with uh, 
Yogan, the, the uh, founder of Lenster, which is one of the most popular front ends for Lens, to get that proof of concept in place, which has already since launched. And, and now all Lens DMs will officially be supported by XMTP and other developers in the Lens ecosystem can take you know, what was done there and build it directly into theirs. We want to see that same pattern repeated over and over again. And so we sort of uh, were constantly talking to all kinds of different teams, looking at all kinds of different sorts of integrations uh, at the highest level, uh, you know, and hopping on Zooms all day long. But then we're also trying to put ourselves uh, at all of these hackathons to be on the front lines with developers, understand their needs, uh, kind of work through some of these ideas really quickly with them um, and just grow it that way. It's a, it's very much a boots on the ground kind of uh, bit of work that you have to do to see this sort of thing grow. Uh, but eventually you'll start to see these effects, uh, these network effects emerge from it where just working with Lens and building it in a Lenster means that now other apps that are in the Lens ecosystem have a desire to support these features. And so it can kind of organically grow in this manner. Yeah, awesome. I love that approach. And yeah, I, I think boots on the ground is so important because, you know, your first customers are your other developers building. And 100%. Yeah, there's, there's no better way to understand their, their challenges than hang out with them seeing how they build stuff um, for sure yeah, all, the, all the users will follow all the users will follow from there um, yep absolutely cool. okay um so i think right now like if i'm trying to message someone on chain i kind of like the closest the closest i've come is like figuring out like what their ens is or something mm -hmm. and then maybe like sending them there's some hilarious ways people have been doing it like you send them mm. an nft with a message or you send them a totally or you go on Etherscan and you try and send some like random message like, hey, bro, sorry, I sold my NFT for half the price. Can you give it back kind of thing? Exactly. Um, but where, how do you see things evolving in like, say, three to five years when XMTP is used by everyone? Like how, 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 how's the future different with XMTP? Well, you know, the all the ways that you can already do this come conversation uh, or communication with the uh, with the wallet addresses uh, it, it, it's it's interesting in that all of these uh, say organic ways of doing it or just hey we have no other options so we've got to do it this way um, it's been awesome to see some of those emerge and there's a lot of learning to be done there but I start to think about okay what are the things that are uniquely available to a developer, to a user, or to a protocol because it exists in this space? And what are the unique properties that we have? You know, I think that one of the things that I'm sort of very keen to explore would be things like, as boring as it may sound, user support. Uh, and that's because, you know, we very much take for granted uh, say, the ubiquity of email and just how easy it is to just say, you know, hey, I'm going to go onto this website and use a little chat widget and send a message and say, I'm having trouble with this, please send me an email back. Um, we take that for granted. And in the Web3 space, 
What's challenging is that if you have an issue with anything at all, you're now hopping back into these, say, worlds that are disconnected from these wallets. You're hopping into Discord or Telegram or Twitter and whatnot. And because of that, we see scams and phishing and all that all over the place because you have this sort of barrier that you crossed. And you're now into a world that is not connected necessarily to those wallets, or there has to be some sort of trusted intermediary, which is never, uh, never terribly a good idea. What I see with XMTP is that if you were a protocol, or let's just say you were a creator, uh, let's say you were Yuga Labs, and you know y there was a reason why you might want to provide support, setting up a you know, an address, like an ENS address, like a support.yugalabs.eth. Uh, and then me as a user being able to communicate with them, the power of this and where this kind of solution is a 10x better solution is because I can know cryptographically, uh, you know, that there's no way that uh, this interaction that I'm having uh, could be inauthentic. Uh, I can know that they have to be in control of whatever keys uh, allow them to maintain that support.yugalabs.eth address. Uh, and it can be uh, something that I trust, right? And that's a totally different circumstance than what we see today where you hop into a Discord. And the first thing it tells you is we will never DM you. And that's a missed opportunity, right? It means that the user experience, especially for new people in the space, is uh, extremely challenging and can feel like you just, you don't have recourse. You don't know where to go. You don't know how to get help. Um, so I see that as being a big one. I see, let's say, zero knowledge coming into it. So the idea that uh, these proofs can be generated where I can... You can say, uh, you know, that I need to confirm that Matt has, you know, at least a, a $1,000 in this wallet. Uh, and today's solutions would mean, or the sort of like if you were talking about a bank, that I like export a screenshot or a CSV and hand it over to you. But now you know way more details about me than necessary, all these things. And the advent of zero-knowledge proofs means that I can prove to you through mathematics, very simply, yes, I at least have that much and don't have to tell you anything at all about who I am or anything, but I do qualify for this sort of barrier you've set. I see this really playing out well in messaging because even if you were to take it back to like a, a real world example, I bought a house last year and the amount of uh, information that I had to give to these third parties that I had no previous relationship with, had no idea who they were, what their data retention policies were, anything like that. And I'm giving over the farm in terms of everything that they could know ever know about me. Um, and the idea that we can sort of uh, take these interactions and package them into to messages with these proofs that can verify that all of this is authentic and real and these claims that I'm making are true... Uh, without having to say uh, unduly pull too much information uh, or in, into the process, that's really cool, and uh, I think would have an opportunity to even have say, 
you know, if there's a reason to have, uh, say, pseudonymous or anonymous communications where, you know, you want to talk with somebody and you want to say, listen, anybody that is a punk owner can reach me. But the idea that a punk owner could reach you, not tell you which punk they own because they don't want to tie it to which account they have because that then creates maybe a security challenge. But they could say, hey, I own a punk. And you can go, cool, you own a punk. You can talk to me. I don't need to know which one it is. I don't need to know who you are, but you can talk to me. Uh, These sorts of things are really cool. It can all be wrapped up as the idea that we are able to communicate on the basis of, say, what's in that wallet, the basis of the kinds of activities that you performed on chain, like, you know, anybody that gave to that Ukraine uh, donation address, maybe I might say that, uh, yeah, I'd prefer to send all of those an airdrop or that they are altruistic or whatnot. Um, And, you know, you can kind of shift and shape how you want to communicate based on the rest of this rich information that would be available to you. That's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. It's like, as a project, you can know so much more about your users just from on-chain information and you're informed in a way that you can, you know, give them more relevant things and supply them with more relevant information. I think a really good example is in with DeFi protocols, someone uh, might have a loan that they, they have on compound. It might be coming close to liquidation and you can tell them, Hey, you know, you're going to be liquidated soon. If you don't cop up your loan, something like that. Um, so relevant, so important. Um, but yeah, we're, we're still waiting for it to come through. So excited to see as you integrate with more protocols. Absolutely. And even just that example that you call out is one of the first things that we had uh, been inspired by when talking Mm -hmm. with, uh, say Robert at compound, but, but right in there is where things start to get uh, a little muddier and some things that we have had to deeply consider. And that is that, uh, because a lot of this activity and these things are happening on chain, the activity is public. Um, you know, but if you're about to send notifications across a public chain about things that might maybe put somebody at risk for front running or any number of Mm -hmm. things, uh, that's not so great. Um, and it's where we really focus on this whole secure, uh, private end to end encrypted world, uh, where those communications are not privy to any, nobody else is privy to those except for you. Uh, and in those kinds of situations, that's really important. Uh, so it's kind of the, the first time in this space that, uh, we'll really be able to have uh, the best of both worlds, this sort of on-chain world of transparency, uh, but then this this other world where, you know, you can have, um, you know, private uh, consensual conversations with, you know, whoever it is that uh, that you'd like and know that they are authentic and they are secure. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, last question. So, yeah, thank you so much for taking us through of course um, all of this has been it's been really incredible to learn uh more about xmtp more about yeah communication protocols and yeah your plans to expand and grow so a quick question kind of a random one but i ask it to everyone if you could be cmo or head of growth for any other project that's not your own 
um, which one would you go for? If I could be the head of growth for any other project, which one would it be? You know, I don't know that I could pin it down to any one particular, uh, say, project, but the ones that are in and around, uh, say, file storage, um, that's very interesting to me. And that's because, uh, you know, files can be anything. Um, You know, you can, everything we do on, you know, the computers and the web, you know, kind of probably all boils down to some sort of database entry that, you know, in and of itself is kind of a file. But, you know, if you think about how we interact with uh, the world today, it is through all of these centralized entities that ultimately own our data. You know, we might have a claim to them. We might be the ones that have the key to them. Uh, but they are not, say, residing with us. And in most cases, we don't actually have the key to them because at any time, you know, a lot of these storage providers or apps that I use that I just sign in with a password on, um, they could independently access any of this information. And I just think that there is such an opportunity to educate the world around what it means to, say, have self-custody and I know it's really challenging and we're still very much in the earliest days of that user experience and have a long way to go before it's something that my grandpa could use Um, but in a world where our information seems to be uh, ready for the highest bidder and sometimes the highest bidder is the hacker that has figured out their way into some system uh, the idea that we could turn around in 10 years to a world where we really do have, um, say, authority over our own data, consent around who can view it uh, and all that. I think that's a really interesting thing. And I would say that, like, it's an extension of XMTP. There's a large part of what we do that is uh, kind of very well related to that. So I would Mm -hmm. probably say I would still be doing what I want to be doing or what we're doing today. Uh, I would still want to be focusing on this particular thing. But if you had to put me to task and find something else, uh, it would probably be, you know, around uh, this sort of self-sovereignty of data. Awesome. Very, very cool. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. Quickly, how can people get in contact with you? Or, yeah, and how can they learn more about the product? Yeah, uh, happy to. So for the for XMTP, they can check out xmtp.org. Uh, we also have uh, a Twitter account, XMTP underscore. Kind of hate that that's there, but <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, on Twitter, I am just MG. Uh, and then as far as uh, reaching, reaching us, reaching me, we also have a Discord. So discord.gg slash XMTP. Uh, lots and lots of ways of being able to get in touch with us. Uh, I would also love that anybody that is using XMTP, say xmtp.chat as an example, they can message me at matt.galligan.eth. So my ENS name. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks a bunch, James. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing Web 3. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at hype partners forward slash podcast thank you for listening again 
and be sure to hit subscribe to listen to new episodes first. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more.